Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. For the benefit of our viewers, we today are talking about something that doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people, but it's certain language or a series of words pushed together that we lawyers have lived with for many years, and they continue to be a big part of our careers and of our practices of family law. And the phraseology is a change in circumstances or a material change in circumstances. So first of all, what do those words mean? And why do we even care? Well, in most legal cases, whether it's criminal law or real estate or civil litigation, uh, state's law, whatever the legal problem is, once it's solved, it's finished, it's done. Person goes to jail, person is acquitted, real estate transaction closes, somebody pays somebody money for a wrongful dismissal or a personal injury, but not in family law. In family law, there are agreements called separation agreements or orders called court orders or divorce orders that specify, that specify what should happen with the children in terms of their parenting schedule and what should happen with the payment of child or spousal support on an ongoing basis. But then things change. And the question becomes, if somebody earned $75,000 last year and this year they're earning $75,500, does that give them the right to go to court and seek a change? What if the person that earns 75,000 this year is only earning 74,500? Does that justify a change? So the law has evolved to create a certain minimum requirement that would allow people to be able to seek a change to a written agreement or a court order on very narrow topics. And those narrow topics are child support, Section seven expenses for extra expenses for the children and spousal support. Sometimes some other corollary issues like how much insurance should a person have for child support, spousal support. But for the most part, um, these changes that occur have to be of a significant dollar value or there should be some importance associated with it if it's related to parenting that would justify a change. So the law has evolved to create this threshold called a change in circumstances or a material change in circumstances as a threshold issue to determine if the person is entitled to a change. And the judges hold people to those thresholds because quite frankly, we've got a backlog in the court system. And if everybody were to come forward and make a change or seek a change, simply because they earned $500 more, $500 less, the courts would be even more clobbered and backlogged. So we have in Ontario, a variety of uh, laws that govern the changes to child support, spell support, and to parenting. And so on the federal level, we've got the Divorce Act. And for those of you that are interested, you could read section 17 of the Divorce Act, which talks all about changes that would qualify to a change in support or parenting. We've got the Family Law Act, sections 30 to 34 deal with changes in uh, spousal support and child support. And lastly, 
not lastly, sorry. And then on top of that, we've got the child support guidelines, uh, which at section 14 talks about changes to child support. And, and lastly, we've got for unmarried people where the Divorce Act does not apply to their parenting rights. We've got the Children's Law Reform Act of Ontario and section 29 deals with changes in parenting. Um, and you need to meet that primary threshold before you can seek a change. And just because you've met the test of a change does not mean that the entire case gets blown right open because the judges are gonna go, okay, I see the change, but the remedy should be, should match the change. So just because, um, you know, uh, there's a change that's needed in parenting, it may not necessarily mean that every part of the parenting schedule has to be changed, but maybe only the part that relates to the new information, the new event, the material change that we are talking about. And the word material is actually an important word because it's gotta be materiality. So, you know, um, we'll talk about this now with Leanne. Leanne, in, in, your, in your experience, um, have you had chances to see what meets the test and what doesn't meet the test? And you've had to walk clients backwards or make the case to a judge. Let's, let's hear what your experience has been. Yeah, certainly uh, this is an issue that comes up often enough. There's often people who have a, you know, a prior separation agreement or court order and they come to me and they want to change, um, you know, particularly the support provisions is something that comes up, um, you know, because they're saying that their income has dramatically changed or their former spouse's income has dramatically changed. And, you know, when, when people come to me with that sort of situation, uh, I always emphasize with them that, you know, a material change is a legal threshold. And what uh, a court will consider to, you know, be a material change is very fact specific. And um, it's, you know, it has, as you were just saying, Steve, it has to be something of some significance. It can't just be, you know, someone's earning an extra $500. It, you know, generally would have to be something more than that. And there has to be some level of permanence to it. it you know, it, it's not just that one time somebody maybe got a bonus or something, um, you're not going to change all the provisions uh, regarding support based on a one-time thing. And so, um, one of the situations that I had uh, a client in where we successfully were able to have a material change in circumstances was that he was retiring. He'd been a long time payer of spousal support. Uh, the parties had been married for a long time, but then they'd also been, you know, separated and divorced for a very long time. Um, but he, because it was a long marriage, a traditional marriage, he had been ordered, there was an indefinite spousal support spousal support that he had been paying and he was uh, reaching 65 years of age and wanted to retire and his income was going to be significantly reduced because of his retirement and so he wanted to change the amount of spousal support that he was paying as a result of his retirement and so we were successfully able to have that change based on that. Um, I think it's worth noting that if uh, the order, the original order or the separation agreement had been made, um, you know, just a few years before when it was contemplated that he would be retiring in a year or two, uh, the outcome might have been very different because it's important that, um, you know, for a material change, it has to be something that, you know, was not contemplated or, <coughs> you know, thought of 
uh, at the time that the original order uh, or separation agreement was made is something that has come up later on. Uh, and the idea is that the reason that the change is being allowed is or granted is because um, it does affect what would have been paid, <coughs> pardon me, um, and um, <coughs> I may have to get a drink of water here. Um, and so that's why the courts entertained it. I'm going to turn it over to you, Steve, for so, a second, and I'm just going to go grab a glass Absolutely, of absolutely. <laughs> so, so, you know, the two primary drivers of motions to change or requests to change are either child support or parenting schedules. Those are the two most common. That doesn't mean there aren't other categories that are relevant and that in, are entitled to a change, but those are the two most popular ones. So um, we've already heard from Leanne on the subject of child support. Um, and again, it needs to be a minimum level of materiality to justify the change. And the most common situation, by the way, for changes to child support is when somebody's the payor's income, and sometimes both parents are the payor because they have shared parenting, but in some cases, one of, or sometimes both of their incomes has drastically changed. You know, somebody lost their job. They, they used to earn 100,000, they lost their job, and three months later, they got a new job, and they're not earning 100 anymore, they're earning 75. But the child support, first of all, for the three months that they were unemployed, should be based on, say, EI, if they, legitimately were looking for employment and they couldn't find it and then once they started earning 75 the child support would be based on the 75 again this is based on the assumption that the evidence is that the change was legitimate and not brought on by their own attempts to manipulate the situation and pay less support by earning less income so that's on child support on the side of parenting and as i indicated the parenting changes uh, the law for that is found in Section 29 of the Children's Law Reform Act or Section 17 of the Divorce Act. Um, and there, um, it's a bit more amorphous. You know, it's not numerical as much as it is with child support because the changes could be um, unquantifiable. So, what's an unquantifiable change? You know, a child who may have been living with one parent. Uh, and seeing the other parent only once a week, after a year or two or three, that child might have been expressing a wish to stay the whole weekend. And this goes on for days and weeks and months. And the, uh, the parent who the child wants to spend more time with has asked the first parent for their agreement to allow more time to be spent with that parent. And the primary parent says no. And this goes on and on and on. And the child is expressing uh, independent views on the subject. That's a classic case where that parent would bring a motion to change the agreement or the order to ask for more time with the child. And the court would likely look at what is the material change. And to look at the material change, the court has to look at what's the pre-existing situation, what's the current situation, and what is the situation that the applicant is seeking. Um, and then what's the evidence about all of that? And if the evidence is from court documents, from counseling records, from communications between the parents by text, WhatsApp, or email, maybe also possibly something that the child has said to a therapist or a doctor. And these are factors that go into determining, A, 
has the threshold been met? And B, if it has been met, what's the right outcome? And so there, there are, uh, there's laws and facts that need to be marshaled in order to achieve a change in the parenting schedule. The procedural side of this, and by the way, we've just talked about the evidentiary and the legal side of it, but the procedural side of this is another chapter in, in a conversation whereby under the Ontario family law rules, the courts were inundated with requests to change previous support agreements, parenting agreements, and parenting and support orders. So the Family Law Rules Committee of Ontario back in 1999 instituted a whole other court process just for people that would like a change. And it's called a Rule 15, because it's the rule in the Family Law Rules that governs this request. It's a Rule 15 motion to change. And if you were to go to Google and type in Ontario Family Law Forms and scroll down to Rule 15 or Form 15, you would see it's very user-friendly. It actually asks all the right questions. What has been the situation? What is the situation that you want? What is driving the change? What's the threshold answer to the question? What's the material change? When do you want the change to start? Why do you want the change to start? It's actually only a I think it's like a five-page document, but it's a smart questionnaire. And it's not just a questionnaire, it's a legal document. So if you sign it, you're going to be held to it. I just got off the phone with a, uh, a client just before we started this IG Live. And she was served with a motion to change child support after she and her ex had a 2018 court order that dealt with uh, child support and parenting. And I asked her, when does he want the change to begin? She said, I don't know what you're talking about. So I took her to the form and I asked her to turn, I think it was paragraph 16 of the form 15 motion to change form. And it says right there, as of what date do you want the change to occur? And the guy answered from now. Well, now was May, 2023. So that would mean that he is not entitled to a change to the child support from 2018 to 2023, a period of five years. And that's important because he's in arrears of $30,000. And this client didn't know that he wasn't seeking to get out of the $30,000 in arrears because he's not seeking a change for the back five years. He's seeking a change from today forward or from May forward. And that's important. So the procedure is almost as important as the underlying law and an understanding of the underlying law that we talked about until now. How's that voice, it's important. voice doing? <laughs> it's, it's better now. I think uh, now that I've had the water, I should be okay. Um, I, I was gonna say it's important for, for people to understand as well that you know if you have a change in your circumstances and you have an existing court order or a separation agreement that's been finalized, it's important that you don't just take things into your own hands and unilaterally decide you're going to change what you're paying or decide that the parenting schedule is changing, you know, unilaterally because you think it should because your, your child doesn't want to go to the other parents now. Um, you know, because you are then in violation of an existing court order or an existing agreement. So 
in situations where you want to make a change, you need to either get the agreement of the other party and execute it properly, um, or you need to, if you can't get their agreement and, and file the necessary documentations, uh, uh, documentation, then you're going to need to commence this motion to change. Uh, and, you know, quite often what I've seen happen is somebody, you know, maybe they do lose their job or their income changes and they just decide unilaterally they're going to change what they're paying. And, you know, that can get them into some trouble with the court because it's not up to you to just unilaterally decide that. You need to follow the proper procedure. And bringing a motion to change is, is very similar to almost starting a whole new court process. If, if anyone out there who has commenced a court application, well, commencing a, a motion to change in some ways is very similar. You often have to complete, if it's involving financial issues, you're going to have to complete a financial statement as well, which is something anyone who's you know done a separation agreement or an application would be familiar with. And it's essentially like starting a whole new process with the court. And that means, again, that it's not necessarily done super quickly. Uh, it, there's going to be case conferences and settlement conferences and, and those sorts of things that you have when you bring an application. And so when you file your motion to change, it could be, you know, two years uh, before you finally get an outcome with it, unless you settle along the way. So it isn't a fast process, unfortunately. Um, it's also something that people can go to a mediator for. Uh, and I think it's a great, you know, when there's been a, ch a material change in circumstances, mediation is a great mechanism for dealing with these sorts of things rather than having forcing parties back into court. And many separation agreements have provisions for dispute resolution that require people to go to mediation or arbitration should they have um, a difference of opinion on something. And so I, I'm wondering, Steve, I, you're doing a lot of mediation these days. Is this something that you find comes to you in mediation very often? So, you know, going back 30 years when I started in this line of work, um, it was very rare for final court orders or separation agreements to foreshadow what would occur when there would be a future change. In other words, it would just say that this is the schedule for the kids and this is the amount of support that needs to be paid period you know in the last 20 years we are now seeing more of the agreements and the court orders have a clause that says how to handle future changes um, like you said again it's a dispute resolution clause or it simply actually foreshadows what exactly will happen so you know when the children go to university this is what's going to happen or when the child starts elementary school full day school the parenting schedule will change to this way. So people now and lawyers now are already envisioning what should happen in future junctures. And if they can't go so far as to agree to what will happen, they're putting in clauses that specifically direct them to mediation or to um, some form of assessment process to determine what should be the next step. Now, having said that, the courts, have been overwhelmed with people seeking changes to previous court orders and written agreements. Now think about this. If it's any other area of law and the case was in court, once that judge finishes the case, normally the court never sees those people again. But in family 
law, people can come back to court every year. And if the kids are two or three years old and they're not 18 for another you know, 15 years, how many times can those people come to court? Technically, they can come back to court up to word, upwards of 10, 15 times. Now, that doesn't happen very often, but people do go back to court. So for every one case, there could be three different court processes. One when they originally started and finished, one when they sought a change a couple of years later, and then they seek another change. For example, when the kids graduate high school and go off to university and there's a debate as to what the support should be. So technically one case could easily be three court cases, like one family could be three court cases. So what have the courts done with this? Because this is, this is overwhelming. They've set up, as I indicated, a process called the Rule 50 Motion to Change, but who's managing it? Answer, the first court appearance in Ontario, you don't even get to see a judge. You have to go in front of a person, someone like Leanne or myself, who has applied for and got onto this roster of senior lawyers, who volunteer one or two or three days a month. I say volunteer, they're paid a little bit of money, but not much. And they are called DROs, Dispute Resolution Officers. And these days it's done mainly by Zoom, but prior to COVID it was done live. And whether it's Zoom or live, the DRO gets a list of cases uh, that are gonna come before her or him. And they read the motion to change or whatever the documents are that the people filed. And the DRO tries to avoid the case having to go see a judge. And the role of the DRO is to try to settle the case much like a mediator would. And these are cases that they didn't include in the order or the agreement, a requirement to go to mediation or some other process. And so the takeaway from today is um, when splitting up and resolving your affairs, either by written agreement or court order, turn your mind to the need in the future for a change and how you want that change to be managed. Not what the change actually should become, because you may not know what, that, what the issue might be and what the change needs to be, but you at least recognize that there will be a need for a change, possibly, and you want a mechanism that allows you to deal with this quickly, inexpensively, and fairly. And Typically, the answer to that is a mediation clause um, that would be a first step before someone can go to court. Some people even contract out of court in the original agreement by saying if there will be a change and the people cannot agree to it, it has to go to mediation arbitration, which is a way of saying nobody can go to court, but they must hire a mediator arbitrator who will try to settle it amicably. And if not, the arbitrator will conduct the hearing and make a ruling at the end. And that way, that's the way it's addressed. And so there are many mechanisms to deal with it, but you have to have the hindsight or the foresight, I should say, to recognize that there's gonna be a need for the change and incorporate that into your settlement. Yes. So uh, it's an area for sure where it's good to get legal advice if you are out there and you have an existing order or a separation agreement and there's been what you think might be a material change. It's definitely something to consult with a lawyer about to see whether you should bring a motion to change or whether you're required to do mediation by your separation agreement. 
Um, so anyone listening who's in that situation, uh, we would advise you, you know, to speak to a lawyer and, and see what your case is about. I think that's it for today. Um, so thanks for joining us, everybody. We will see you here again next week on another episode of Divorce Explained. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.